on the title page of Savitri, <coughs> you will find a description which calls it a legend and a symbol. It's a legend and a symbol. The legend, of course, is the story, the story of Satyavan and Savitri, which is known to all of us in its Puranic and popular version. The original story, of course, goes back to Mahabharat. where the Pandavas are spending their allotted time in the forest, in the Kamyaka forest. <coughs> and Yudhishthir, of course, is very depressed that he has been living a life of righteousness and still has had to undergo all these privations, defeats. So, on one occasion when Rushi Markande comes and visits them, Yudhishthira asks him, has there ever been a parallel to my case? We have been five brothers living such a virtuous life and yet we have had to suffer so much humiliation, privation, defeat. Markande of course obliges and tells him the story of Rama. Rama was also like you. And yet, look at his life, he had to spend 14 years, Banavas, lost his wife at some stage, had to fight this war against Ravan, etc., etc. Yudhishthir is not satisfied, he says, had there been a case like Draupadi's, a woman of such unexceptional virtues, and yet she had to suffer disgrace, humiliation. Recently, Jayadrath tried to abduct her and she had to be rescued. Do you know any parallel to this at all? And Markande tells him the story of Savitri. This is how the Savitri Upakhyan comes in the Mahabharata. But the Savitri Upakhyan did not originate with the Mahabharata. It is one of the Vedic myths. And when a Vedic myth is taken up in the Puranas, very often it loses its original point and gets a popular body. And so the story of Savitri as we know is primarily a saga of a righteous woman's chastity and how much merit, force, power she can acquire through chastity. And so in the popular mind, Savitri is associated with that kind of a thing. And very often my modern friends wonder when Sri was writing an epic for future humanity, 
Why did he have to choose the story of Savitri? This again, in some sense, a symbol of male chauvinism, where you only talk about wife's duty towards her husband, wife's chastity towards husband. Why couldn't Shorabindu, for a change, reverse it and talk about a husband's duty towards his wife, husband's chastity towards his wife, and the come great merit it accumulates. Now people who quibble at this point do so because they haven't taken the trouble of reading Savitri. It has nothing to do with chastity, whether it is husband's or wife's. <clears throat> as I told you, this emphasis on chastity as a primary virtue of Savitri's story is a later popular addition. In the Vedic myth, it primarily comes through as man's aspiration to immortality. Man's soul, which has descended here, caught up in ignorance, and this is the Purusha who is caught up here, and the Supreme Prakriti, the Divine Mother, has to come down to rescue this Purusha. And it is that story, ultimately it is man's aspiration to immortality, that the Savitri story was all about in the Vedic myth. But when it came to a Puranic story, its emphasis got slightly changed. And from the Puranic myth, when it came to medieval India, and the typical male mentality of the Indian husband, it is very often used as a kind of argument how wife should behave towards him, wife should be like Savitri. Now, these are all things which somehow have accumulated around the Savitri myth. And the point is, why did Shurabindo take up this story? What did he find in this story? This is something very interesting. Now, as you can see, love conquering death is a theme that Shurabindo was fascinated by. Love conquering death. Death stands for all limitation. Death stands for all negation. It doesn't simply stand for the disintegration of the human frame, physical frame. Death symbolizes all these things. Now, love is the highest power that has come down to earth. And it is only through love that death can be conquered. This was a great theme that Shurabindo took up. And if you look at Shurabindo's completed plays, like the Perseus, Eric, the viziers of Basora, Rodagyun, all these plays of Shurabindo are variations of the same theme. Love conquering death. Shurabindo was so fascinated by it, he had written two other works also on the same theme. The first one he wrote when he was a young man of about 22 or 23, around 1895. He wrote a poem called Urvashi, 
Then later, when he's about 27 years of age, he wrote a poem called Love and Death. Savitri was taken up after this, but all these three have the same theme. And if you look at the development of the theme in these three stories, you will see why Shorabindu was fascinated by the story of Savitri. In Urvashi, as you know, Pururavas, a human mortal here of this earth, falls in love with an Apsara. And at some stage, this Apsara goes back to her world and Pururavas, madly in love with her, goes looking for her and finally ends up in the heavens where she belongs, Urvashi belongs. And the gods there are kind, they recognize that here is a love-lorn mortal. They say, all right, we'll, we'll grant you your love on one condition, provided you are willing to forego your life on earth and you are willing to come and stay here on, in the heaven. And Pururavas is so madly in love, he thinks it's a good bargain. Anyway, who wants life on earth? where electricity fails, there is garbage, problems of all kind, taxes have to be paid, corrupt officials have to be pleased and so on. Heaven, there are no officials, there is no sunset, there is no electricity, no bill to pay and so on. So he prefers heaven. Now, in love and death, it's the same theme repeated, with a slight modification. This time, the beloved is bitten by a snake, and she is carried to the Patala Loka. Priyamvada is her name. And Ruru goes in search of her and goes to Patala. And the powers that be do recognize that he has a valid case. But they say, all right, we are willing to give you back Priyamvada on one condition. What is it? You have to forego half the lifespan of your life on earth. Not full, but half. It's wonderful, he says. I am more than happy to do it. In Savitri, as you know, the God of death is willing to offer Savitri anything. He is also, later on you will see, he is willing to offer Savitri a separate heaven, all for yourself and Satyavan, a special heaven. But Savitri is not willing to make a compromise. He says, I want to go back on earth. I want to realize the fulfillment of love here on earth. This is Savitri's insistence. And Sri found this feature, he must have found this feature, the insistence on realization of all human dreams of perfection on earth. This insistence was specially Savitri's insistence. He found this very attractive, as you will see, that Sri has always maintained heaven. We are, who is worried about heaven? People are all worried about heavens. In a letter, Sri wrote once to the mother, the mother, as you know, first came here in 1914 and during the sec First World War she had to go back to Europe. First she was in Paris and then she went to Japan. 
During that period, in one of the letters Sri Aurobindo wrote to her, Sri Aurobindo says, Heaven we have always possessed. Heaven we have always possessed. Heaven is our birthright, we have come from there. It is the earth that we have not yet possessed. We have yet to possess this earth, we are all worried about heaven. It is the earth we have not yet possessed. And he says, it is the aim of my yoga to make heaven and earth equal and one. The aim of my yoga is to bring perfection here on earth. This has been Sri Aurobindo's great emphasis. There has been no philosopher who has been a greater materialist than Sri Aurobindo. Sri Aurobindo accepts even if God has to come down here on earth, he has to accept the limitations of matter. He has to wear a form made of matter. So matter for him is not an antithesis of spirit. Matter is also another form of spirit of the divine. So for him, earth life on earth, matter, were not lowly things. So this emphasis that Savitri story implicitly contains of the value of, li of life here on earth, that's what must have attracted Shurabindu a great deal. And that's why he decided to take this up as a framework for the great epic that he was going to write. Now, if you take up Mahabharata story, it's a story which Vyasa narrates with great elegance in about 700 lines. The entire story takes 700 lines. Shurabindu's epic, Savitri, the same story even a little fewer details. Sri Aurobindo has omitted some details. In fact, after Satyavan returns from the kingdom of death, what happens to Satyavan and Savitri? How they meet their parents? In the original, this takes up one-third of the entire length, about 100 verses. In Sri epic, this is dismissed briefly in about four or five pages in book 12 as an epilogue. But the rest of it, the story which Vyasa is able to tell in about 400 lines, leaving the last part out, Sri tells this story in about 23,500 lines. If you take the whole epic, it's about 28,000 and odd lines. Now the question arises, if Vyasa could do it in 700 words, sorry, 700 lines, why does Sri Aurobindo require 24,000 lines? The answer is, what Vyasa was trying to do was different from what Sri Aurobindo was trying to do. In what ways is it different? Well, let us take some of the ways in which 
Shorbindo's treatment of this legend is different. In Vyasa's story, Ashwapati is a noble, virtuous king who has all the benefits and blessings of life except progeny. He doesn't have children. And as it used to happen in, in the earlier days, if one doesn't have children, if doesn't have a male issue, then one is not very sure that one will get a passport easily stamped to go into heaven. So you have to have a son or a daughter at least. So Ashwapati performs a yajna. That's the original story. He performs a yajna for 18 years. And each day he offers to Goddess Savitri 10,000 oblations each day. And he does it for 18 long years. Now, Vyasa describes Ashwapati's tapasya in 10 lines. 1-0 in 10 lines. Sri Aurobindo has the section here on Ashwapati's yoga. The equivalent of Ashwapati's tapasya, Sri Aurobindo has converted into Ashwapati's yoga. And Shurbindo devotes to Ashwapati's yoga 10,968 lines. I used to say 12,000, but I thought I should, this time I'll to be a little scholarly. So I actually counted the lines. Scholarship basically consists of taking a computer, add up, it says 10,968 lines. So what Vyasa was able to convey in 10 lines, Sri Aurobindo requires 10,968 lines. Now if you have Savitri with you, and if you look at the content page, which is important, contents page, this Ashwapati's Yoga, Ashwapati's Tapasya begins on page 22, Canto 3 of Book 1. Got it? It begins at that point and ends with Canto 4 of Book 3. How many cantos does it make? It makes 22 cantos. Three cantos in book one. All the 15 cantos in book two. That is 18. And four cantos in book three. 22 cantos makes up 10,968 lines. What Vyasa could do in 10 lines, Sri Aurobindo requires 10,968 lines. Now why does he, why does he require all these lines? Is he describing each Purohit, his girth, his height, his weight? How many Purohits were there? Or does he have a guest list? How many people are invited? No. 
then you first immediately begin to see that this is a different kind of enterprise. This is a different kind of enterprise because the quest of Vyasa's Ashwapati was progeny, was a child. The quest of Chorbindo's Ashwapati is something entirely different. What was Shurabindo's Ashwapati's quest about? Very briefly, the quest Shurabindo had, which he pursued during the 40 years he spent in Pondicherry. I talked about it earlier. What was Shurabindo doing here for 40 years? If you want to see, if you want to find an answer to this question, don't read Jawaharlal Nehru's introduction to Karan Singh's book. You read book one of Savitri. That will give you an answer of what exactly Shurabindo was trying to do here. Ashwapati's, Shurabindo's Ashwapati is not an ancient king. He is that of course for the sake of the story, but the spirit of this Ashwapati is as modern as a professor of Harvard University or as a professor of any Indian university who is asking this question. Man has at his command all the sciences, all the technology, all the spiritual lore the East has to give and the West has to give. We have the accumulated wisdom of several cultures and civilizations and yet the load of suffering on the human head remains undiminished. Why? If you look, compare any one of you here in the audience with the greatest of Mughal emperors, Akbar, you will find you are more powerful than Akbar. You just have to stand up, press a button and the fan begins to whirl around you. You go to the neighboring supermarket, you get biscuits from Australia, you get fruit from Switzerland, you get whatever you want. You just have to go home, turn on your air conditioning and you are in the Himalayas, right in the heart of Pondicherry. Compare the miserable life Akbar had to live here to call the Pankhawalas. You blow faster, faster. Each one of you has this tremendous power. We are almost like gods. And yet, the misery, the wars, People who were brother, brothers day before yesterday have become enemies today. Yugoslavia in Tito's time 
and now russia and now what is happening in chechnya hindus and sikhs one family one people couldn't trust each other for several years until let us hope wisdom has once again dawned what is happening why is this happening if in the 17th century 16th century people died of starvation we could attribute it to natural causes there are no more natural causes now there is enough food in the world to fill every stomach there are enough resources to see that every child gets health care and yet as you can see in the united nations very learned people sit year after year year after year and then come out with the report 30% of the world's child population lacks elementary health care and the secretary of the united nations keeps shouting hoarse himself hoarse and says please give me your weeks budget defense budget one weeks defense budget <clears throat> and i will wipe out all this deficiency from the face of this earth no 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 we have we need this money we need to prepare for star wars we need to prepare this bomb that bomb ashupati is asking this question what kind of what kind of a situation is this man <clears throat> so wise so brilliant if some equipment you have left on the moon is not functioning you just go to your laboratory and fiddle with something here and that equipment left on the moon starts working if you are wife when you go home you find your wife and neighbor's wife had a quarrel about the maid servant god alone help you why is this at one level we are as brilliant as einstein at another level we are as bad as crocodiles and horses why is this happening ashupati is asking this question we have so much power science is a gift from god do you know what essay students prepare to write ssc examination one of the favorite topics is science a blessing or a curse religion is a great thing that came down from heaven and what is the essay topic students are preparing religion a blessing or a curse in the name of religion you fight jihads in the name of religion you destroy people their means of livelihood as the english philosopher said we have enough religion to kill one another 
but not enough to love one another. Religion came, science came, and yet <coughs> the agony, the pain, the injustice, its location is different. Revolutions have come, the great revolution being the Russian Revolution, trying to bring in a paradise for the working man. After 80 years of this attempt to bring paradise, people said, we don't want this paradise. There is not enough bread in the supermarket, there is not enough butter in the supermarket, there is nothing to eat. What happens? In the times of the Tsars, there was such a great deal of exploitation in Russia, which Marx wanted to eliminate. Did he succeed in doing that? exploitation, the tendency to exploit, remained undiminished. Except the exploiters were different, the exploited were different. That's all. So Ashwapati is asking this. Religion has come, education has come, education we thought would change man, would transform person. Very often I tell this, my friend Eckhart is sitting there, he comes all the way from Germany whenever I have these Savitri sessions here, and I always give this example. Germany is the paradigm example of an educated nation. That educational system is so good that even today in the United States, a large number of educational practices that they follow are borrowed from Germany. And yet, one madman called Hitler was able to brainwash a major part of Germany and made decent Germans do horrible things. What a guarantee education has that it will prevent you from being a beast. I don't think education is a guarantee. Where is the, where is the answer to these questions? You have philanthropy. You have Mother Teresa coming from Poland, working in the slums of Calcutta. Such a great lady, if I find her, I will touch her feet. And yet, the question is, how many more Mother Teresas are we going to need? Is one enough? I don't think so. We need Mother Teresas not only for Calcutta, but I don't know how many are required in Bombay, in Madras, everywhere you need them. And if this Mother Teresa goes, do you think, the tears in human eyes will disappear, that there won't be any more exploited people, that there won't be any more hungry people discarded on the garbage heap of society. These people will continue. 
and we will need mother teresas probably we should start a university preparing mother teresas because we seem to need more and more of them where is the, where is the way out ashwapati asking these questions is there a way out oh there is a way out <clears throat> what is it religion spirituality what does religion tell you religion tells you that the world that you want to change is like a dog's tail and the dog's tail is proverbially crooked and a wise man is he who doesn't waste his time in straightening out a dog's tail <clears throat> you should not attempt to do this then what should i do <clears throat> what you should do is by <clears throat> consult a railway guide find out the shortest route to a himalayan ashram somewhere or even if you don't have time somewhere in the south also is okay there are ashrams everywhere buy the ticket by the shortest route go to the ashram close your eyes look within yourself there you will find the kingdom of god there you will find the world of sachidananda and there you will find there is no turmoil there are no revolutions there is peace there is bliss there is happiness shivoham shivoham everything is shubham satyam all where outside when you go out what happens the same poverty the same ugliness the same exploitation or oh, that that is all mithya that doesn't exist the reality is here for shirobindo this answer is not acceptable <clears throat> i very often tell a little story to my friends there are so many paths to the realization first of all you should have mumukshatvam a strong desire for self realization then you must have vairagyam how many lives does it require oh it will require about 10 15 lives before you can get real mumukshatvam and real vairagyam and then you turn within find the kingdom of god i very often give the example <coughs> of my friends who very often come to me and says you know i have a very bright brilliant son his future in the country is very bleak there are no jobs everywhere there is reservation in this country unless he gets 99.99% marks there is no chance for him to get anywhere what is the problem it's very easy make sure your son gets into iit there are five of them in this country 
once he gets into the IIT, let him do an electronics BE or whatever. Once he comes out of IIT, all the job markets in the world are open to him. Singapore calls him, Hong Kong calls him, Yale University wants him, England wants him, Germany wants him, France wants him, everybody wants him. What is the problem? Is that so, sir? Can you give me the addresses of IITs? I tell him. Then he says, sir, how do my son get into the IIT? Oh, that. Maybe he has to write an entrance examination and pass it. Oh, sir, how many students take the entrance examination every year? Maybe about 3-4 lakhs. Sir, how many seats are available? Maybe 3-400. So 3-4 lakhs of students appear for the entrance test and only 3-400 finally get there. Do you mean to say my son has a chance? This is the way all our teachers have been telling us. You first of all have to get mukshatvam, first of all have to go vairagyam and then turn within and someday you will find the kingdom of God and you will be alright. Great teachers came as I told you, Ramakrishna Paramahus came, Jay Krishnamurti came, Raman Maharshi came, Sri himself was here. How many people directly benefited from their coming? The light from heaven keeps coming down. God is in love with this world. He keeps coming. We don't seem to want Him. Ashwapati realizes this. Is there a way out by which you can rid man of this stupidity that when a light comes he can't even receive light? What's the way out? This is not a medieval king's yajna for children. This is the question asking for fulfillment of life here on earth. That is Ashwapati's yoga. Ashwapati is trying to find an answer to these questions. Is there a way out? by which not one individual, we are not talking about saving one individual. That's not the question. We are trying to save humanity as a whole. When electricity became available, it, there is not one man's possession. Anybody in the world can produce electricity, can use it. That kind of thing, is that possible for man? This was Ashwapati's quest and naturally as you can see if this is your quest then to find an answer to this question you can't do it in 10 lines as Vyasa did. You naturally require 10,968 lines or even more. I have a feeling that probably Shurabindu meant Savitri to be 50,000 lines long. If there were more time, he probably would have enriched that part 
but you can see that 10,968 lines is not a long stretch if you want to condense this quest of Ashwapati's on behalf of mankind as a whole and find an answer to this quest. So this is, as you can see already, you can see from a legend, this legend is now being used as a symbol. Ashwapati's quest is a symbolic quest. It's a quest of humanity as a whole. This is the first change that you find that Sri Aurobindo has made in Savitri. <clears throat> the second change, we won't have time to talk about it, is in the Mahabharata story, Savitri performs a vow called Triratra vow, three nights and three days. She undergoes very rigorous vratam, standing in one place, not taking any food, etc., etc., which Vyasa describes in eight lines. This, in Savitri, becomes Savitri's yoga. And if you have the index, the contents page, you will see that Shurabindo devotes to this the whole of Book 7. Book 7 in Savitri is Savitri's Yoga, Book of Yoga it is called, and that has seven cantos, and all these seven cantos talk about Savitri's Yoga. As very often people have said, Ashwapati's Yoga is Shurabindo's Yoga, Savitri's Yoga is the Mother's Yoga, well, this is a little too simplistic and too glib, but there can be seen some parallels of that kind. I won't stick to it too much and say this is exactly what Mother did, nothing more, nothing less. That's not a good way of doing about going about it, but this is another change which you don't find. Vyasa describes it in eight lines and Shurabindu requires for it 100 pages, nearly 3,000 lines. That's the second change. This third major change is in the original Mahabharata story, Ashwapati realizes as a father, it is his duty to find a proper husband to his daughter. And since he is unable to find somebody whom he approves, he asks Savitri to go out into the world and find her life's companion. From there, suddenly the scene changes. Savitri is coming back and reports to her father, Father, I have found Satyavan. But in Shurabindo's story, epic, if you look at book four, most of book four and book five, which is called the book of love, where Satyavan and Savitri meet, they recognize each other, and also go through what is called a Gandharva marriage. All this is new. This is, Sri has added this. It was not there in the original Mahabharata story. The next one is Savitri's mother. Her name is Malavi. It's not mentioned here, 
Vyasa mentions her name, has no part in the Savitri story. But here, she has an important part, an important role, and what role that is, and uh, what its significance is, and in what other ways this story is different from Vyasa's story, we'll have to wait the next talk, because I'm already getting signals from the technician. There's only one minute left. So we'll take it up tomorrow.